Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest on today's podcast, via, joining me via Zoom, is Jonathan Decker. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Hello. Do I, do I call you Richard? Do I call you Papa Osler? Richard, the big o? What do I, call I know. You? That's a good question. I, Richard's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's a pleasure um, to be here. Thank I you for having me. But I am known as Papa Osler. You're exactly right. Um, listeners, I came across, um, I'm not Facebook friends with Jonathan, but he hit, shared a post on April 8th. Um, that sort of made the rounds about his own journey as a committed Latter-day Saint to navigate complicated, historical, complicated current issues and remain what a committed Latter-day Saint is. I read this, I recognize that this is a framework that may be helpful for some listeners. Um, some may say that Jonathan's on the slippery slope to leaving the church, being honest about his <laughs> concerns. But I feel differently. I think he's on the slippery slope to be able to stay in the church because he's developed a framework to navigate complicated issues and still support and sustain the church, our doctrine, our leaders, um, and be a committed Latter-day Saint. But then I think this also helps you listeners or those that are trying to help others give tools to them and um, framework for them um, to be able to stay in the church. Um, I also, when I read Jonathan's post, I thought of Elder Ballard's talk back in October of 2014, um, the talk called Stay in the Boat. And I've thought mm -hmm. a lot about that talk over the last eight years. And I've thought about, and I was on Twitter kind of talking about this. And one of the um, tweets came back to me is, you know, what we really need is a really big boat. And I yeah. think there's a <laughs> lot of people that actually want to stay in the boat. They're not sure people like them are welcome or needed, or valued, or their framework for having a committed testimony might be a little different from them, so they're not sure they yeah. want them in the boat. So um, Zion, to me, is creating space for different types of testimony types and different types of navigating historical issues, um, things prophets have said in the past, where we are with current issues. And so if you're kind of in that space, I think Jonathan's this podcast with Jonathan will really help you. Um, but will you introduce yourself? You're a marriage, you're a licensed marriage and family therapist. You're a father of four young kids. You just turned 40. Um, I'll give that, but just kind of, you've got a bunch of other stuff you've done. So before yeah, you get to sure. the well, Facebook post, give us kind of a bio. Well, I mean, and I told you I had four kids at home. We actually have five. The first is from my wife's uh, previous marriage. So we, we have five, four together. Uh, the fifth lives with his dad in Salt Lake, but I am... Uh, I'm known in LDS circles, perhaps, uh, or in Latter-day Saint circles, excuse me, still getting used to that, uh, Latter-day Saint circles. Uh, I have a column in LDS Living called Ask a Latter-day Saint Therapist. Uh, for about a decade, I was a film critic and entertainment columnist from Meridian Magazine. Uh, and my passion projects are, I have two YouTube channels. One is called Mended Light, which is a trauma-focused, healing from trauma-focused channel. Uh, that my wife and I run together. Uh, Mended Light is also the name of our therapy clinic. And then a channel called Cinema Therapy, where my co-host and I, who is also a Latter-day Saint, who I met at BYU, though we don't, we don't talk about the church on the show, but it is exploring movies through the lens of psychology. He's a, he's a professional filmmaker. I'm a licensed therapist. And the idea is Siskel and Ebert meets Mr. Rogers, that we're promoting <laughs> kindness and relational health and mental health while geeking out about movies and uh, some of you have heard of it. It's doing pretty well for itself. It's it's coming up on a million subscribers in just two years since we launched it. And uh, so that's doing quite well. Tell our um, listeners exactly how to get to that channel. And we'll link to it in the show notes. 
Yeah, it's just on YouTube. Uh, it, if you search for cinema therapy on YouTube, you will no doubt find it. I am obviously not here on behalf of cinema therapy, nor am I representing cinema therapy. All views expressed on the show today are my own. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I'm the therapy half of that duo. So, um, You're not kind of a one-dimensional guy, Jonathan. Um, listeners, I'm just meeting Jonathan for the first time and it's um, been fun to just to realize all the different spaces you're in and all the different ways you help um, in our world. Talk about where, tell our listeners where you got your education. You're a marriage and family therapist, so I assume there's an undergraduate and a graduate degree in there. Yeah, there's a, I did my undergrad at BYU, uh, psychology, clinical psychology, where I was part of the, co- the comedy group Divine Comedy. Uh, some of you have heard of Divine Comedy. Probably all of you have heard of Studio C. Studio C was formed by uh, friends of, well, I don't know all of them, but I'm friends with several of them uh, from my Divine Comedy days. And they graduated BYU and went on to form Studio C. So Divine Comedy is very similar uh, in style, except for it's definitely more Latter-day Saint culture, Provo culture focused. And we had a great time. And so I I cut my teeth doing stage comedy. And I feel like I, I felt the Lord's hand in that because the gift that... I hope I can say this without sounding arrogant because I do feel like we all have weaknesses. I have many, but we also all have gifts. And I feel like I have a gift for something called edutainment, which is uh, people don't even realize they're learning things because they're having, they're having such a good time. And so the idea is, I mean, I could go into acting or I could go into comedy, but I decided I'd rather teach things, uh, but do it in a very engaging way that has people laughing and enjoying themselves. And very, very Bill Nye the Science Guy, at least how he how he did things back in the nineties. <laughs> really cool. And where did yeah. you go to graduate school? Uh, Auburn University in Alabama. And I was tell, I was telling Richard that I was this close to being an unmarried marriage counselor because I graduated BYU unmarried. Turns out they don't refund they do not refund your tuition, which is <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, and then I got outside of Provo, and I realized being twenty seven and single wasn't the menace to society kiss of death that I thought it was and that I was just fine. Uh, and then I met my wife just in time to, to have the street, the street cred as a marriage counselor. And so I've been doing that for the past 15, well, 14 years. That's where I'm at. And so. It's interesting. Listeners, some people I meet in their twenties and you kind of have a real feeling of where they're going to end up. Um, <laughs> and some people have all these different skills and gifts and interests and, um, you seem to have kept many of those active as you as you have a professional career, but you also have a lot of interest in a, in a lot of different spaces. And, and um, that's a good thing sometimes, but it can be overwhelming because you've got so many interests in so many different spaces. And I'm glad you're doing this, art, this um, section or whatever the right vocabulary is for LDS Living and just all the work you're doing in many different spaces. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So you, I, I apparently caught your eye on social media. I've been following you for a long time because I, I feel like there's, I found a kindred spirit True. in the way you approach, uh, you know, it's right there in the name, the names of your books, you know, listen, learn, and love. And one of them is improving Latter-day Saint culture. You know, I think the doctrine is wonderful. I think the culture needs work. Uh, and, and Listen, learn, and love. And what is the exact title? I know it has to do with embracing and loving our yeah, LGBT, embracing LGBTQ, LGBTQ Latter Day Saints. That's great. Yeah, these these are two things I'm very passionate about, uh, and I think that is part of why my post caught your eye. True. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I just, it, your post gives me hope um, that we can talk about complicated issues in a faithful way. We need to learn to talk about the things that you shared in your Facebook posts, in our families, in our congregations, and develop a framework to work through those. One framework that I sort of grew up in is we don't talk about this stuff. It never happened. Um, <laughs> and if we yeah, just the, don't, the if, shadier aspects if, of church history, we just right. don't talk about it, then we'll be fine. But I think we're realizing that um, people are, we teach about these and they're in the saints book. They're a part of our history. We're owning our history. And obviously on social media, they're available to Latter-day Saints, especially our younger people that want to know this stuff. And often it can be a little or a lot unsettling for them. And some people my age often don't have, I don't want to find, I don't want to be that binary, but often I certainly didn't have any skills to help somebody with honest questions that you talk about in this Facebook post. And that's one of the things I recognize a lot of people do want to stay in the church, but just don't have the tools or the perspective yeah. or the community to sort of navigate these things. And we sometimes say unkind things about people that ask honest questions. Um, oh, we, we assume people leave because they, they're sinners. They, they've, they're, they've apostatized, they've lost faith because they fell into vile sin and therefore lost the spirit. <laughs> Instead of actually hearing what they're saying and we're too scared to acknowledge that these might be valid concerns or that these might be conversations worth having. And so we circle the wagons to protect the church instead of circling the wagons to protect the people. I mean, I, I feel like personally, the church doesn't need protecting. The church can stand on its own. The gospel can stand on its own. I, I pulled up a couple of quotes that I like here. One, uh, President John Taylor in Journal of Discourses, he said, I think a full free talk is frequently of great use. We want nothing secret nor underhanded. And I, for one, want no association with things that cannot be talked about and will not bear investigation. Uh, and then President Hinckley, well, we have nothing to hide. Our history is an open book. Critics may find what they are looking for, but the fact is the history of the church is clear and open and leads to faith and strength and virtues. And I, I absolutely agree with both statements. I think the, the vast majority of the church's history is beautiful and inspiring and inspired. Uh, I also agree with President Taylor. I don't, want, and, uh, I don't want anything to do with things that can't be talked about and will not bear investigation. But for so long, we were afraid to do it. And a lot of people have felt blindsided when they learn about aspects of our history that nobody told them about, uh, that while I wouldn't say hidden, I don't like the phrase cover up because they were always, Journal of Discourses was, was always there. History of the church was always there. The Old Testament with all of its disturbing stories was always there. And, uh, but sure, you go to seminary and you go to Sunday school and you talk about the things that are faith promoting and inspiring and uplifting. And so people feel blindsided. And for a long time, I, I recently compared, imagine the church history that I grew up with is imagine if you read a version of the Old Testament where you heard about the parting of the Red Sea, but not Moses leading Israel into Canaan to wipe out the people, right? Or where you read about Noah's great faith in building the ark, but not that he was passed out drunk in a tent. Uh, where, you, where you read about David slaying Goliath and uniting Israel, but casually omits his transgression with Bathsheba and you know the death of Uriah. That that is unfortunately the type of Latter-day Saint history that we were given. And one thing that I love in the past 20 years, between the Joseph Smith papers between and the Saints books, is it's the fulfillment of what President Taylor was talking about 
a full free talk, right? And to me, the gospel is so much more powerful when the stories aren't whitewashed, when the stories aren't cleaned up. When you read saints and you read about sinful, fallen, broken people who are striving to be good. You know, when you read about people who stumble and make mistakes, some of them serious, that registers and speaks so much more strong to me than kind of what we grew up with, you know? And so that's, you had asked me uh, to just go ahead and read my Facebook post because you liked how I put it. And I was saying that this is where we've, this is where we've arrived. We used to have authors read their, their books for the audiobook. I'm just going to go ahead and read a Facebook post for you for this podcast. But um, this was the context of this. And I hope you don't mind if I segue into that, uh, Richard, but the context of this is this was just on the heels of April general conference. And there was a lot of chatter on social media between faithful Latter-day Saints who were saying, this is, thus saith the Lord, this is word of God, everyone else needs to deal with it. And people who are no longer Latter-day Saints saying, look at this talk of mother in heaven or gender or sexuality, you know, look, look how, what a cult this is. And then you have people caught in between who are trying to hold on to their faith. Uh, but there's a lot of voices coming at them from different sides. And I just decided to throw this out into the universe. I sometimes do soapbox Facebook posts where I just think I just post what I'm thinking. And this is what I came up with. So uh, religion, faith, and doubt also LGBTQIA issues and heavenly mother buckle up. The broad strokes of what I'm about to say have application for Catholics, evangelicals, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, or part of any other organized faith. I lead in tangent. I lead with that because, uh, I have a lot of followers who aren't members of the church. So anytime I post on the church, I want to give it context. If that's not you, you may still find this interesting. I was raised Latter-day Saint. It's who I am. I love my people. I love much of the culture. I believe in the core doctrines and they are beautiful to me. Yet I was raised to be honest. So here goes. Honestly, there's some things that give me pause. That's just the truth. I want to tell you how I deal with it because I know people in my church and others who love their religion but struggle to sync with all of it. I personally believe that God speaks to the world through through apostles and prophets. That's all throughout the Bible. That said, I understand the concerns and confusion of people who are on the fence, as well as the hurt and sense of betrayal of people who leave my church or any other church for that matter. We had a global conference last week. It happens twice a year. Lots of uplift, hope, and awesome messages. Also, a couple things that didn't sit well with me, which is fine. We're a faith that preaches going to God to get answers. The cultural assumption in our church and in others is that once you do, you are sure to get an answer that is in line with what is said from the pulpit. But that's not good doctrine, nor does it sync with history for Latter-day Saints or anyone else. Elder D. Todd Christofferson, an apostle in my faith, said that it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered, opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. And as they say in conference, close quote. (laughs) This is helpful for me. 
I consider Brigham Young in many ways to be an inspired leader. He was also categorically, even horrifically, wrong on matters of race. As the new Pope says at the end of Angels and Demons, the movie, I can't remember if this line is in the book, religion is flawed because man is flawed, including this man. Now, some people are going to say, uh, tangent, some people are going to say, how dare I even say that Brigham was wrong on matters of race? Uh, because Brigham said things that have been officially disavowed by the church and its current leadership. So this is not me saying I know better than a prophet. This is modern prophets saying they know better than past prophets. <laughs> okay, that's valid. Um, back to the post. But what of teachings of unified church leaders? In 1949, the first presidency of my faith stated, as an official declaration of doctrine, that black persons were denied the priesthood as a commandment from God as a result of their being less valiant in the pre-mortal existence than others. In 1978, that ban was lifted. Our current prophet, prophet Russell M. Nelson, has been doing a beautiful job of leading out against actions and attitudes of racism. His partnership with the NAACP on this has been inspiring to me. We read from the church's official website, Today, the church disavows the theories advanced in the past that black skin is a sign of divine disfavor or curse, or that it reflects unrighteous actions in a pre-mortal life, that mixed-race marriages are a sin, or that blacks or people of any other race or ethnicity are inferior in any way to anyone else. Church leaders today unequivocally condemn all racism, past and present, in any form. Tangent. Some people may say, well, that's just something for the gospel topics essays that people wrote. It doesn't trump what prophets and apostles have said. It's true, but it's pulling from what apostles and prophets have said in official press releases on this subject. I just use that paragraph because it summed up everything very nicely. Um, but if anyone really wants to come at me, I can give you the references. You can email me at John O'Decker, J-O-N-O-D-E-C-K-E-R at yahoo.com. In other words, back to the post, in other words, the unified leadership of my church in 1949 was wrong. I'm not being anti-Mormon. I'm stating an ironclad doctrinal historical position supported by the church itself. How can we reconcile this with the notion of, with the notion of inspired leadership? How can we not lose faith when any church claims inspiration, but also walks back on previous positions? And what does this mean for the future? Michael Quinn, the late Latter-day Saint historian, said something that is so powerful for me, but also for people of other faiths who believe that God works through inspired, sincere leaders. Tangent, Richard, this is something you were talking about. What is a way forward when we experience cognitive dissonance, when we believe in inspired leadership, but at the same time, it's demonstrable and observable that certain inspired leaders said one thing and later inspired leaders said something completely different. This is what Michael Quinn said back to the post. Instead of a black and white view of Mormonism, I have an Old Testament sort of faith. The writers of the Old Testament presented the prophets as very human vessels, orts and all. Yet God still chose them to be his leaders on earth. That's how I see Mormonism. It's not a perfect church. It has huge flaws in both the institution and the people who lead it. They are only human, and I have no trouble accepting that. It's all part of my faith. 
On the very first page of the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith wrote that if it contained mistakes or faults, it be the mistakes of men. And this same thing is stated in various ways throughout the text that follows, that errors in this sacred book are possible, even likely. I have always believed that Mormonism was the one true church, but I don't think it has ever been infallible. And I certainly don't believe it has a monopoly on the truth. As I now close quote back to me, as I study the Bible, I'm led to two conclusions. Number one, God revealed his will to apostles and prophets. Two, they made mistakes and God was the one who corrected them. For example, King David wanted to build a temple. Nathan, in the office of prophet, told him to go ahead, that God was with him. God later corrected Nathan and told him that he had not spoken for God and that Solomon was to build the temple as David had too much blood on his hands. Tangent, how do I know that Nathan was speaking in the office of prophet? Because we have this idea, right? A prophet is only a prophet when he's speaking as a prophet. As a man, he can have false mistake, false ideas or you know, be, be wrong. But the thing is, David as king didn't need to ask Nathan as a man for permission to do anything. He was consulting the Lord's prophet about building a temple. And Nathan said, go ahead and do it. And then God says, basically to Nathan, he says, did I stutter? Right? <laughs> um, the resurrected Jesus told the apostles to preach the gospel to all the earth. Their response was basically, okay, preach the gospel to just the Jews. Got it. So Jesus later sent a revelation to Peter that more or less said, did I stutter? The gospel is for everyone. Tangent. We often think that the opening of the gospel to the Gentiles came in the vision of, you know, the animals with cloven hooves. Uh, but it actually came clearly to me before that when Christ, the resurrected Christ says, preach the gospel to the whole world. But the apostles just received a revelation from God, from Christ, face to face, from his lips. And they misunderstood it and misconstrued it. And a later vision was needed to clarify it. <clears throat> Paul was an apostle. He said woman, he said women, sorry, Paul was an apostle. He said women shouldn't be allowed to talk in church. Yeah, no. Jesus was an apostle. He betrayed Christ. Early apostles in my faith left the fold. Paul H. Dunn was a leader in my church who made up stories about his life and lied in general conference. Richard R. Lyman was an apostle in our faith who was excommunicated for adultery back in 1943. There's not a single faith on the planet that doesn't have high-level hypocrisy, scandal, or wrongdoing in the history of its upper-level leadership, including the Church of Jesus Christ and the House of Israel throughout the Bible. I don't say any of this to throw shade. Quite the contrary, I agree with Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf, an apostle in our religion. We openly acknowledge, this is what he says, we openly acknowledge that in nearly 200 years of church history, along with an uninterrupted line of inspired, honorable, and divine events, there have been some things said and done that could cause people to question. I suppose the church would be perfect only if it were run by perfect beings. God is perfect and his doctrine is pure, but he works through us, his imperfect children, and imperfect people make mistakes. Uh, that talk, by the way, tangent is come join with us from the October 2013 General Conference. It is the most Papa Osler talk that has ever been given. <laughs> Speaking of big boat. <laughs> Back to the post. There's a tendency to see most religious leaders across the board as wolves in sheep's clothing, but that's not been my experience. Almost everyone I've ever met in my faith and in others was trying to do good and were genuinely good people. 
But man, the fallen ones do so much damage. I suppose that's why Jesus was kind and welcoming to sinners of all stripes, but shut down religious hypocrites hard with righteous fury. Like Michael Quinn, I believe in a gospel restoration, ongoing revelation, prophets and apostles in new scripture. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe that priesthood to act in God's name is on the earth again. I believe in Jesus Christ as Savior in temple covenants, in the reality of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother, and in the guidance of God through personal revelation to every individual. I also believe that God works through people everywhere and that there is revealed truth in other religions. I love the teachings of Buddha. I've benefited from my readings of the Quran, a teaching of Brigham Young that I adore. The truth, Brigham Young says, the truth and sound doctrine possessed by the sectarian world, and they have a great deal, all belong to this church. As for their morality, many of them are morally just as good as we are. All that is good, lovely, and praiseworthy belongs to this church and kingdom. Brigham Young continues, whether a truth be found with, with the professed infidels or with the universalists or the Church of Rome or the Methodists, the Church of England, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Quakers, the Shakers, or any other of the various and numerous different sects and parties, it is the business of the elders of this church to gather up all truths in the world pertaining to life and salvation to the gospel we preach, to the sciences and to philosophy wherever it may be found in every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and bring it to Zion. Close quote. <laughs> God speaks to many people. He works through people of many religions and no religion at all. How much peace and love could we have if we could all embrace this idea and not see one another as the enemy? I love reading the holy books of other faiths, even though I've no intention of converting to those faiths, and I recommend the Book of Mormon to others on the same principle. Even if you never become a Latter-day Saint, the Broadway musical was right. This book will change your life. I don't know if you ever saw that song, the Hello song from the Book of Mormon musical. Uh, I haven't seen the full musical, but I saw that song in the Tonys. And it's, it's pretty spot on. That's how we are. <laughs> That's how our missionaries are. Um, <clears throat> all right, back to the post. Back to the original topic of leadership. Brigham Young also taught, I am more afraid that these people have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire for themselves of God, whether they are led by him. I am fearful that they settle down in a state of blind self-security, trusting their eternal destiny in the hands of their leaders <clears throat> with a reckless confidence that in itself would thwart the purposes of God and their salvation and weaken that influence that they could give to their leaders, did they know for themselves by the revelations of Jesus that they are led in the right way. Let every man and woman know by the whispering of the Spirit of God to themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path the Lord dictates or not. Close quote. <clears throat> I don't care who you are, that's good doctrine. And how does the Spirit communicate to us? The Bible teaches that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. If a leader of my faith or any faith teaches it and it enlightens my mind, increases my love, joy, peace, etc., then I consider it confirmed by the Spirit and I follow it. If it does not, then I don't accept it wholesale. I make space for it as I work it out with God. I don't presume to receive revelation from my church or to tell the brass what to do. The pattern is clear that that's what God will do. My grandfather was a global leader in our faith. I know something of the upper level operations. 
by and large, I do believe that they are sincere, inspired, good people who seek God's guidance. Tangent. Uh, some people are probably curious. So my grandfather was H. Burke Peterson, wow. uh, who was in the presiding bishopric. He was a member of the Corps of the Seventy. Um, and one thing that I can tell you is his grandson is that he came across as stern in general conference. That man was an utter clown. He was basically, <laughs> if, if you know who Danny Kay is, the old actor from the court jester and white Christmas, he was, he, he took the gospel very seriously and he didn't make light of sacred things. Literally anything else was up to be played with. And he was a delightful man. I remember um, your grandfather. Well, I'm glad you mentioned him. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, incredible example of what it is to be a husband and father, you know, what, what righteous dominion, if that is such a thing. I mean, it is, but what does that look like? He gave a talk called, uh, uh, called Unrighteous Dominion that I would encourage anybody, male or female uh, or non-binary, to look up because it is it is what it's supposed to look like. And he lived it. Okay. <clears throat> Back to the post. But if I don't feel peace on something, if I don't feel love and joy and peace about it, then I'm going to do some soul searching. And unless and until I get that spiritual witness, I will not die on the hill of any doctrine or policy. My church supports LGBTQIA equality in civic matters. It supports anti-discrimination laws regarding employment and hate crimes. I feel peace on this. On matters of LGBTQIA marriage and transgender identity, it takes positions that I don't feel peace about. I'm not coming out swinging, just saying I personally don't feel peace about it. In 2015, Elder D. Todd Christofferson, an apostle in our church, was asked about Latter-day Saints and LGBTQIA issues. He said, we have individual members in the church with a variety of different opinions, beliefs, and positions on these issues and other issues. In our view, it doesn't really become a problem unless someone is out attacking the church and its leaders. I can get in line with that. I have no desire to attack my faith or its leaders, nor can I see myself doing so. I love my church, and I support and sustain our leadership as they seek God's will. If they're mistaken on any point, God will correct them. If I'm mistaken on any point, he will correct me. I'm quite sure I'm on good doctrinal and historical footing here as I've laid out. I encourage every person in my faith and outside of it to seek the divine and do what brings them peace and fills them with love and joy for those are fruits of the spirit. When I pray, I feel to stay in my faith. When I pray, I feel to support LGBTQIA persons in their journeys. If that means they stay and practice religious celibacy, then I am to be their friend and help them to feel loved and welcome. If that means loving someone of their own gender, transitioning to another gender, or anything else, the command from Christ is clear. Love one another. They are welcome at my table, in my home, and with my family. The existence of Heavenly Mother is a core part of our doctrine. Jesus told us to pray to the Father in his name. He never told us not to speak to our Heavenly Mother. I have placed my hands on a woman's head to give her a blessing and felt the clear prompting from the Holy Ghost to guide her to reach out to her Heavenly Mother while being sure to not neglect her connection to her Heavenly Father in the process. I was guided to tell her that both of her divine parents wanted that connection with her. 
I felt peace on that. So did the woman who received the blessing. In the last general conference, one of our leaders taught not to pray to Heavenly Mother. Again, a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. Tangent to that, I might add, I do believe there's a difference between praying and speaking. Um, my mom, my earthly mother, my mortal mother, who is also my eternal mother, part of that eternal family, passed away in 2006. I still talk to her. I don't pray to her. I don't close in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't invoke that sacred name when talking to my mom, but I do. Sometimes when I'm alone in my car, I talk to my mom. She might be there in the car next to me. She might be in the spirit world off doing something different, but I, I talk to her. And I don't doctrinally. Okay. We don't pray to heavenly mother. We don't invoke the name of Christ for that. Um, it's a different type of relationship. But to me, there's no heavenly father's not someone who would say, Hey, I don't want you talking to your mom, <laughs> you know? And so if you feel to talk to heavenly mother, that that's what the spirit guides you to do. We are commanded to pray to the father. So don't neglect your prayers to heavenly father, but there's a difference between eat your vegetables and don't eat your dessert, and make sure you eat your vegetables and then you can have dessert. You know, <laughs> maybe that might not be the best analogy, but it's the best I came up with on the fly. Um, back to the post. One of the beautiful things about Latter-day Saint beliefs is our ninth article of faith. We believe that all we believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal. And we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we don't know everything and we wait on further light and knowledge. I love my faith. I support and sustain our leadership. I love our scriptures. I will seek God's will and spirit and follow whatever gives me peace, joy, love, and the other fruits of the spirit. When I don't feel those things, I will wait on the Lord. Uh, and tangent, some people say, well, you can't have a confirmation and you can't feel the, the peace until you act in faith. And yeah, that's absolutely true. That's part of making space for it. But I know a lot of people who... They act in faith for years and years and years and years on something. And not only do they not get that sense of peace, they feel guided elsewhere, right? And so it's important, yes, to follow the spirit, but how can you tell that you're not being deceived? This is why I don't presume to, to correct church leadership. I don't presume that anything that I have felt is, well, this is what the spirit is saying and the church leadership is off. I just say, if I haven't felt peace on it, I'm not going to die on that hill, you know, and I'm going to wait on the Lord. <clears throat> the restoration, back to the post, the restoration is ongoing. God continues to reveal light and truth to apostles and prophets, but also to inspire people throughout the world, scientists, civic leaders, theologians, and your theologians, I've heard it both ways, and your everyday good people that you meet at the supermarket. If I don't feel peace about it, I won't throw my weight my weight behind it. There's so much that I am certain about love, kindness, honesty, integrity, accountability, positive change, uniting people to these things. I can give my energy, devotion, and efforts. I support every person in their journey, seeking light, peace, joy, and truth, no matter where it takes them. It's taken me to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It may lead you somewhere else. Let's break, let's break bread. Let's hang out. Let's love one another. And I'll always wear my BYU hat. I just will. 
And I point that out because that's the end of the post. Cause I'm wearing a BYU hat in the post and I, anytime I'm not working, I've got that hat on. So one of my favorite comments was, I agree on everything you said, but the BYU hat is heresy. This is definitely <laughs> a Ute fan, but. <laughs> that was awesome. And tell our listeners the you've taken a picture here. What's in the background? Uh, I was visiting uh, Honolulu with my wife, and I had gone for a walk. And I the Honolulu Steak Tabernacle uh, is honestly it is the most gorgeous non temple church building I think I've ever seen from our faith. It's it's halfway between a very nice chapel and a temple. It's just gorgeous. It's got the reflection pond. It's got stunning artwork of the Savior carved into the wood outside. And so I took a picture, uh, picture with that. Um, listeners, we will put a link to this um, Facebook post in the show notes so you can read it word for word. It's um, a lot of the things that Jonathan has referenced have footnotes. There's things I've, a couple of things you've said I haven't heard quoted before. Even the stuff you said ahead of the pod have Facebook posts from John Taylor. Uh, this is just a terrific post. Um, I think there's some principles here that really resonate with me. I like some of the vocabulary used. It just feels helpful for me in a divisive world. We're using vocabulary. It's not dividing us. You, when you talk about something that doesn't quite, you says, give me pause. Uh, I wrote that, um, doesn't sit well with me. Um, so I think that you're normalizing just in a very, a very practical way just at times a conference talk or a lesson or a part of church history and just to normalize that is a good thing i also love where you just talk about the history of the world and that god has worked through prophets and he's working through um imperfect men but they still hold the priesthood and the priest of keys and his mouthpiece and i think culturally we haven't quite honored our old testament history as much we've sometimes elevated (laughs) our leaders to a place I'm not sure they want us to be elevated to. And there's been some leader quotes and you've mentioned some that are trying to humanize them as they're doing their best they can. And so I think that's more sustainable approach. And I think you've done a good job of, of talking about some of the things that give you pause or um, where we were with blacks and where we are now, where we were with mixed race marriage and where we are now. Right. I mean, and I'm not a political person, so I'm not going to invoke the name of Mitt Romney for political purposes, but his father was Mitt Romney's father's name. Was it George George Romney? It's George. Yeah. I I remember reading about George um, marching for civil rights at a time when the leaders of our faith frowned on him doing so, but he followed what he felt was right. And turns out he was right, you know, in line with what we now know from Revealed Doctrine today, that you know, we have to accept, we have this idea that the church is always going to be at the front of everything because God leads it. But the fact is, uh, our leaders get ideas from outside sources, same as anybody. Moses had his, he was the Lord's prophet and he had his idea for how to sit in judgment over Israel. And it was killing him because he was seeing every single case. His father-in-law was not a prophet. His father-in-law simply observed the situation and said, "Hey Moses, this this is stupid. You're gonna you're gonna wear yourself out. Like uh, you should appoint lesser judges and you deal with the heavier stuff and let them deal with the lighter stuff and share the load." Inspiration came from a source other than direct line to the Lord's prophet. It, it's very clear 
our church is the whole, is the house of the priesthood. It's where the ordinances of salvation are received. It's where the Book of Mormon was revealed to. It's where I mean, there there are many things that you can only get in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But the idea, and I think we're all comfortable with the idea that other faiths have truth. We're less comfortable with the idea that we have something to learn from them. You know, we're more of the of the ilk that well, you have some truth, good for you. Come to us and let us see what we can add to it. That's a that's a statement from President Hinckley. It's a statement that I love, but it's incomplete. Brigham Young was a bit more well-rounded on this particular issue when he says it's the duty of the elders of Israel to go into the, the sectarian world and go into the, the arts and the sciences and philosophy and to go into the different faiths where God has been revealing stuff for millennia and bring it all to Zion. If it's light, you know, we believe it's all circumscribed, all truth, right? Into one great whole. Um, and it brings, it gives us a bit more spiritual humility than I think culturally we've had. And that lack of spiritual humility has been off-putting to people who might otherwise embrace the gospel. You know, I'm getting the thumbs up from Papa Osler on that one. <laughs> you have a real gift here. This is all unscripted listeners. You have um, really good understanding and principles, which you have to gift the communication, Jonathan, um, in a Thank very you. articulate, helpful way. That's a soft way where you're not, um, I think you're, you're, Everything you said is supportive of our leaders, our doctrine, and I think I hope we all are just recognizing that Jonathan is talking about our leaders um, in an appropriate way. Um, and he's and one of the things you said here is, um, I don't presume to receive revelation for my church nor tell my brass what to do. The pattern is clear; that's what God will do. And so I think you're reminding us of the pattern: is if I need a course correction, I'm going to get that. If by chance a leader needs a course correction, that's not going to come from me. And it's not yeah. for me developing a campaign um, to try to change the church. It's going to come from the Lord. And if we are uncomfortable with something, we use some of the vocabulary you use. We give us pause. Um, and I think when people open up with their, this gives me pause moments to a local leader, to a family member, I think we need to normalize that and not use shaming language to somebody that has a pause question about a conference talk or where we are on something. Cause that's part yeah. of the, let's big a bigger boat. You know, one of the, when I was on Twitter one day talking about this, let's make room for, you know, sometimes we shame people and sort of say, sit down and we don't want to hear yeah. your voice. And I thought we, this like boat that needs song from guys and dolls, you know, that yeah. song sit down, you're rocking the boat, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, one of the <laughs> people said the boat needs to be big enough that if some, we can sit and stand, in the boat and we just create space. Zion for me used to be sameness. We're all exactly the same. I talk about this a lot. Zion is what you're talking about here, um, which is creating space in an authentic, sustainable way with the yeah. focus on our core restored doctrine. And I do love um, this quote you've brought to the podcast from Brigham Young about, I think we can be confident enough in our restored church and our beautiful doctrine to see good everywhere and be humble enough to your point to recognize there's truths outside of our religion. Um, yeah. I love that. And that to me binds me more with the human family versus separates me and wants me to be willing to learn and grow. And Michael Wilcox, one of my Institute teachers on the faith matters podcast, and he's done this for us on a family tour talked about the compass listeners where he talked about a fixed, a compass that has a fixed foot 
And the other foot can go way out and draw a big circle. And he says, our fixed foot, his fixed foot is, you know, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he says, some Latter-day Saints want to keep their next foot right next of the compass to their fixed foot. <laughs> and he says, I like to do just what you're talking here with Brigham Young, just take that, keep my fixed foot where it is in the church, but then take that next foot of the compass. These are the old-fashioned compass listeners. I hope you're visualizing this. And just see all that you can learn. Um, yeah. Just so consistent with what you're sharing with us and based on Brigham Young's quote. And, and so I love that. Other thoughts yeah. that come in. I love where you are with LGBTQ that you do, you're very up to speed on this. And often marriage and family therapists are because they just have clients in this space and they've had to sort of learn this space. That's something I've sensed. Um, and I just love yeah. for you recognize what we're doing um, with equality. And I think the podcast that will precede you um, if listeners want to go back, one episode will be um, some people working on this, on the equality, um, equal housing, equal employment, the church is doing that. But where we're paused sometimes where we are on supporting LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, I feel the same way. I just feel um, we're not at the finish line and, and straight people are having generally a little better, ex better experience in the church than um, LGBTQ oh, people. Sure. And that's just the well, reality. I, I look at it, here's how I look at it. Um, as I say, I, I was raised to be honest. I think being honest is a core part of our values and a lot of people's values. And I experienced cognitive dissonance when I think we're all comfortable with the idea and doctrine of loving LGBTQ people. You know, I, I, most people that I know in the church are comfortable with the idea of loving them as children of God and seeing seeing the good in them as a person, as a human being, we're generally less comfortable with seeing the beauty in their relationships. Uh, and where I finally arrived is I did a therapy with enough couples of that of that sort and made friends with enough couples of that sort. Where I said, well, I was raised to be honest. And if I denied that this relationship is lovely to me, the way they treat each other, you know, the, the support, the kindness, the, if I, if I denied just the experience that I'm having, that I see that as lovely, then I'm being dishonest, which is a violation of my gospel covenants. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like multiply and replenish the earth, but also don't eat the fruit. You know, you kind of have these two, there's tension between these two, these two principles. Uh, and so I struggle with that for a long time until I just kind of made peace with living in the middle of that tension that I can, I hope my brother doesn't mind me sharing this, but my brother is a Bishop. Um, and he talked about, you know, someone in his ward and he was praying about how do I counsel them? And the, the spirit told him, love the gospel and love my daughter. No, as, as in God's daughter, just love, just love the two of them. It's not, you don't have to work it out. This is between me and her. <laughs> right. And, and that's where I landed is people are going to approach the throne and they're going to be walking their own journeys. And I have to be comfortable with, I can not fully understand the steps that another person is taking. And I'm not speaking about this issue specifically. I'm talking about just in general. And I can think, well, that's not the path that I'm walking, but really my command is to love and to welcome. 
my, my, the, the command to me is live what you believe and then make space for others as they're working out their salvation, as they're working out, you know, they're working out their spiritual, their spiritual journey. And so I'm, I'm living in this place of tension where I'm thinking, are we going to get to a place where we have an amendment to the family proclamation or is that iron, ironclad and sturdy for all eternity? You know, I'm waiting on the Lord on that one. I know we had a, a formal declaration by the first presidency in 1949 about, you know, the status of the Negro was the name of that talk. That is not the status anymore. So am I saying things are going to change? No, I'm saying I'm waiting on the Lord. And in the meantime, love one another. And, and the fact is we can overcomplicate these things <laughs> in our minds. Allyship is as simple as I love you and I support you as you seek, you know, as you seek your path, period. And when you kind of boil it down to those essentials, it becomes really easy to be a Latter-day Saint who loves and supports LGBT people. You're, oh, as you pray about it, you feel to stay in the faith and be celibate. Okay, that's lonely as heck. So I'm here for you. That's hard. I'm going to make sure that you know that you're not alone. You choose to go outside and find love elsewhere and look for companionship. I can't judge a situation I've never been in. And so I'm going to love you and you and your partner are welcome in my home and with my family. And it's, once again, I just, I came to this really simple place of just waiting on the Lord for the things I don't understand and not dying on the hill of things I don't have personal confirmation of and focusing on, well, what do I have confirmation of? I know the book of Mormon is true. I know the Bible is true. I've put my hands on people's heads and felt words rush through me that were not my own. I have a testimony of the priesthood. I have a testimony of the restoration and I have a testimony as I study the scriptures that were guided by prophets and apostles that it's not apostasy to say that they make mistakes that God corrects. It's biblical to say that. It's also biblical to say we don't steady the ark. These are good, righteous people who are trying to do the Lord's will. And we're all inching towards, you know, the light and truth. <laughs> so, Jonathan, these you, are... You, tr you triggered a soapbox moment, Richard. Sorry about that. Um, these are... It was really well done. I'm actually just really deeply personally moved by what you just said. We're recording this on a Sunday, listeners, and sometimes a little more sense of the spirit on a Sunday. And um, I just love what you said. And I think listeners will feel the same way. There's a lot of people that are just need the words you shared and the framework and the um, the doctrinal foundation of what you said. I've I've come to the same conclusion. Um, the gospel has gotten simpler for me in some ways where um, it's not my job to save, it's my job to love. Um, we're called to be gatherers, not sifters. Um, there's a no. narrowing of the gate at the temple where there's belief and behavior hurdle, but in our congregations, in our homes, in our families, that doesn't exist. And we should create a culture that's consistent with the doctrine of Christ. That, yeah. um, And sometimes we complicate things. We sort of and sometimes our church culture complicates this, where we sort of think to fall, love and follow God, we have to stop loving some of his children that are actually, yeah. he prefers that. And that's the way we really love God. But I think those commandments are equal co-commandments. Um, and that the best way, one of the best ways we can um, 
show God we love him uh, in a proactive, active way is lift the burdens of his children. Um, And I think keeping commandments puts us in a better place to do that. Keeping our covenants puts us in a better place to lift the burdens of others. So I'm obviously for commandment keeping and covenant keeping. But I think a lot of that then is an enabling power for us to do what we're both kind of talking about in this podcast. Um, and LGBTQ people are our people. They need um, they need support. And they need bear. They need people to sort of just walk with them and and acknowledge the reality of their situation. Um, there's a lot of really great nuggets in here, Jonathan. More things. We've got some more time. Just go on another soapbox or share <laughs> with our listeners um, additional things that come to your mind. Uh, yeah, I. I heard it said, well, okay, let's, let's explore this. I'm just going to go, okay, this is book of Jonathan. Okay. I'm going to go off on a little bit of tangent. I am not saying this is formal doctrine. I'm just kind of exploring the space. Okay. Um, Let's look at two, the two ends of the spectrum. One, the family proclamation is word for word, eternal, inspired, unchangeable. Two, the other side of that spectrum is the possibility of further light and knowledge from the Lord on the subject, and the family proclamation was just one step in the direction towards that light, and we, we're going to get more, right? There, there's two ways this could go in my eyes. So let's look at the first one. President Oaks is right. It's eternal. It's unchangeable. Marriage is between a man and a woman, period. Gender is what you're born with, period. But let's explore that space. I feel like in our culture on this subject and on other subjects, we're a little too close to the scribes and the Pharisees who look down on others while touting their own righteousness. And I go back to President Uchtdorf, who quoted, of all things, a bumper sticker in general conference, don't judge me because I sin differently than you do, right? <laughs> um, that we are all lost, that we are all sinners, that we all need a savior. But the other thing is, how wonderful is the doctrine? A dear friend of mine, uh, she and her wife are no longer practicing Latter-day Saints. And her conver- I, I've had several great conversations with her on, the, on this, and she says, you know, I don't think I'm wrong. She says, I don't, I don't believe the church is true anymore. But she says, I can make space for I am wrong. The church is absolutely true. And she says, if that's the case, terrestrial kingdom, celestial kingdom, is way better than here. And I'm already pretty happy here. <laughs> you know, that, that we have a doctrine of a father who created degrees of glory that are joyful and wonderful for all of us. That is both just and merciful. And so we don't need to look at anybody as a damned child of hell. You know, we don't need to look at anybody as this gross, vile sinner who we can't keep company with. Um, my, my yardstick for whether or not I keep company with a person is not whether they believe or live how I do. It's whether they, they respect that they respect how I believe that I believe and leave what I do and that I make space for them to, to do the same. Right. I won't keep company with people who are actively trying to sabotage my faith or tear me down. But someone who sees the world completely different from me, but respects me and, and where I come from, I can meet them there, you know? 
And so her her take on that is, I think, a take that all of us could have, even if we're hardline family proclamation people, that we're commanded to love, that every being is a child of God created for us to love and for them you know, to show love to us, and that God has created a happy, joyous place for them. I couldn't come. To, I couldn't bring myself to believe. I, I, I sometimes, since we're just free flowing here, Richard, I, I sometimes meditate on. There are few other branches of Christianity that I could latch onto. You know, if if I ever left the faith, I, I would have a hard time latching onto most of the others, not because I don't respect them, but because their afterlife is too cut and dry and too harsh, especially where the the ones that believe in literal burning for eternity. I think, well, that's not a God that I would want to worship, you know, sorry, you picked the wrong religion. So, (laughs) um, and so, and so we can approach this as with the same lens of mercy and love that God has. Now let's look at the other option. The other option of course is further light and knowledge. That's exactly how, Elder McConkie described it in 1978 when the priesthood ban was lifted in an address at BYU. I think it was a devotional. And he says, it doesn't matter one lick what I said or Brigham Young said or anyone else said on the matter of race before this revolution. We spoke with limited light and knowledge, right? And, it's, and now we, we live in this, in this greater revelation. There are people who are who just adamantly refuse the possibility that anything could change, and that's their right. That's their prerogative, and there's doctrinal backing for that. But on the same token, there's also doctrinal and historical backing for. We'll see what happens, and I think it's important to the the topic at hand. Speaking of big boat Mormonism, big boat, the church as a big boat. It's important to recognize that. Someone approaching the gospel with a different viewpoint doesn't make them an apostate. That actually speaks to a type of spiritual arrogance that the way I view the gospel, the way I understand it, and the way I live it is the one true way to live this gospel. And if you don't, then you're on the path to apostasy. And the fact is, like, we come down to the core questions of the temple recommend are are the basic tenets of our faith that we could all agree on. Everything else, I remember when President Hinckley said on 60 Minutes with Larry King that we don't drink caffeine, we don't drink Coke. Guess what we got at BYU now, folks? You know, this is a, and, and was it was it once again, Elder Uchtdorf, who talked about a certain caffeinated beverage that will go unnamed, right? Yeah. There are things that are cultural. There are things that are doctrinal. Sometimes we conflate the two. And sometimes we're waiting on further light and knowledge. It just is what it is. Were I LGBTQ, I, I can't speak to here's what I would do because I haven't walked in those shoes, but I would like to think that I would hold to what I know while still following what I believe and feel is right. The spirit speaks to our mind and to our heart. So what feels and what feels right and makes sense as you pray about it? So there's a soapbox on that. We can go on other tangents. I don't know how much time we got. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually sometimes go a little longer, but I've got a commitment, a hard stop on this podcast coming up pretty soon. But <laughs> listeners, I love what Jonathan just said about the proclamation of family, talking about that um, 
in any way that it could change or there may be more understanding often feels like the slippery slope to apostasy. But I think if you go back to what Jonathan says, he's just open for more light knowledge. Um, yeah, I'm not campaigning not, for the church to change anything. I'm is, not saying the brethren are wrong. I'm saying... And I think a lot of faithful Latter-day Saints may may not volunteer that in in Sunday school class, but may with a close friend say, you know, we have the proclamation of the family hanging up in our home. We're, we're glad to have it up. I believe in marriage between man and a woman. Yeah. Um, but I just wonder if over time we'll will add to that, not in a way it subtracts a marriage between a man and a woman, but just have more understanding for um, how LGBTQ people, their best path forward and and our transgender friends. And as we learn more about their individual stories and the reality of their situations, um, we just get more light knowledge. So I, listeners, you've probably heard me talk about the church's relationship with its members, LGBTQ members, like a 40 chapter book. And I don't know what chapter we're in, and I don't know if doctrine will change, but I sometimes say <laughs> um, chapter 40 represents, to me, the when a mom uh, realizes her 13-year-old son is gay or 14-year-old daughter's um, gay, that she is not full of fear about how that works in our church and culture. It's the, it's the same level of hope as a straight kid that age. And, and I think yeah. we can all recognize that that's a pretty fearful thing for a parent to realize now she is raising a queer child in the LDS faith or any um, conservative Christian faith. And we just have work to do. And I walk with Jonathan that I leave it up to our leaders. And I'm aware of an Elder Rasband quote earlier this year in a YSA devotional in California. And he just said, you know, the way the Lord, if there is a new direction or the words he used, if there ever were a new direction, it would come through the prophet. Um, he didn't sort of yeah. say that there is going to be a new direction. I don't want to infer that or that he was talking about this issue, but to your point, there was a new direction revealed through President um, Kimball in 1978. Mm -hmm. And it came through President Kimball. And it probably came through him um, doing a lot of, um, I don't want to know the right language, but I think he was asking questions that perhaps haven't been asked before. And, and really he was. wrestling no, that, that's this. That's historical. He was there. There were he he took it to the Lord because uh, there was a lot of discussion on the subject and he wanted to make sure that he did right by the Lord. And so he, he brought it with, to the Lord over and over again until the revelation was received. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I don't know what questions our leaders are asking and I don't know what answers the Lord is giving. I'm just with Jonathan that I support and sustain our leaders, but I'm open. Now, I think we both say if you're LGBTQ, um, I, I mean, this is what I say. I say, I invite you to follow church teachings, but if you self-determine um, this is your path forward, your best path forward is the same-sex marriage, I'll walk with you. Um, but don't make that decision thinking the doctrine of our church will change. Make Base it um, that you are right. making... This, this is the choice you're making. This yeah. is the choice you're making outside of you think the church will catch up to you someday. Um, don't do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think either of us inviting you to do that. Uh, no, we'll support and, and again, you if that you feel is that's your best path forward. I had a I had a friend one time who she was searching for a church. And so of course I was all gung-ho about having her meet with the missionaries and I gave her a book of Mormon and uh, and she was praying about it and she ended up joining a Protestant church. And and she said, as I prayed about it, this is this is where I feel like I belong. 
and I, you know, cognitive dissonance. Oh, how can this be? You know? <laughs> and I remember, but I went to her baptism and I supported her. My path, my spirituality, my experience with God says Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's the, that's the big stamp that's put on all of that. But I realized when I went to her baptism, you know, instead of sitting there thinking, oh, this isn't done by valid priesthood authority, and oh, this won't be recognized. <laughs> I, what I saw was a person who was making a promise to God to live a good life. And that was something I could get behind. People say to me sometimes, how can you be a Latter-day Saint and counsel with LGBTQ couples in marriage counseling? And I say, it's very simple. All of us are trying to get more light into our lives. Are you really going to tell me that an LGBTQ couple doesn't need skills of honesty and, and uh, quality communication and conflict resolution, forgiveness and kindness and accountability? Like, are you going to tell me that they shouldn't acquire these virtues simply because they're gay? <laughs> you know, that, that as they, as they acquire all this goodness, it brings them closer to God. And as they grow closer to God, he'll guide them in whatever way he sees fit. And I, I've yet to have someone have a good comeback for that. <laughs> Did you, you know? get any negative feedback on your Facebook post? I've read through oh, the yeah. comments. <laughs> um, do you want to just address any of the negative feedback just so in case people are getting similar negative feedback on um, how they're approaching their faithful journey in the church, just to give them what you would say? I am not going to say that my Facebook post is gospel law. I'm going to say that my Facebook post is where I'm coming from and what my spiritual journey as I as I work out my salvation, reading the scriptures and the teachings of the I prophets. And as I pray and that, that that's what that is. I will say, um, Jesus said, he that hath eyes to see, let him see. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And I'm not talking about my post specifically. I'm just talking about at the time of Christ, they were so used to the stories of the past, but they couldn't see what was right in front of them. At the time of Joseph Smith, they were so used to the stories of the past, but they couldn't see what was right in front of them. Uh, Gandhi actually talked about Christ and said that, and used Christ as an example of, we stone and kill whatever, whoever the current prophet is, you know? And <clears throat> what, what I'm getting at with that is I got a lot of negative feedback. I mean, not most of it was positive. Most of it was, was very complimentary. And this was just what I've been praying for, or this was real godsend. Thank you. Uh, some of it was, you know, 80% of this was helpful to me. I disagree with 20% of it, but I appreciate your sincere, you know, your sincere attempts. And then there's a handful of, oh man, this guy is off his rocker and he is so far removed from the church that he's, you know, an authority unto himself. And I'm, and I'm sitting here going, did you read that closely or did you just skim it? Um, and all I'll say is that, there will always be people, we see it throughout the scriptures, and we see it throughout our history, there will always be people whose interpretation of their faith doesn't make room for you. Wow. Whoever you are. Wow, that's really I remember I, I prayerfully chose to go see The Passion of the Christ when it came out. It's my first R-rated movie. I'll admit there have been a couple more since then. Um, <laughs> but it was, my first, it was my first R-rated movie, and I was raised not to see R-rated movies, and it was a big deal in my family that I actually did this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> But uh, my, when I was praying about it, 
and this is this is just me like i'm not saying god says go see the passion of the christ i'm saying as i prayed about it the scripture that came to mind is in moroni um you know anything that inviteth and persuadeth men to believe in christ is sent forth by the power of god right and you know i thought of nephi killing laban god says thou shalt not kill but then he says go ahead and kill joseph smith anything god commands is right whatever it is even if it contradicts something else because God gives us revelation for our circumstance. And for me personally, the spiritual prompting was go, you're going to have a great experience. And I did. There are other people who walked out of it. It was horribly offensive to them. It was too brutal. But I think of that film literally every Sunday when I take the sacrament and I, and I weep. Um, where, and, and there were people in my BYU ward who told me that I, that I wasn't following the prophet. Same people, their favorite movie was Austin Powers and Goldmember. Because that was PG-13 and not rated R. But, you know, and I, I'm not going to poo-poo anyone who likes Austin Powers. I'm just saying that was definitely not a film that invites you to come to Christ and persuades you to do good. It was a, a, an innuendo-filled romp, uh, wh- whether you think that's fine or not. Like, that's what it was. But there were people who were saying that I was off base and their favorite movie was Austin Powers and Goldmember. And my point is... There were people, I judged my grandma growing up because she drank Coke. Guess what? We got an apostle now who admits to drinking caffeinated beverages. I mean, we need to get away from the fringes of our culture and look at, is this a kind person? Is this a forgiving person? Is this a person who seeks righteousness and integrity and decency? Uh, That's what we should be looking at, not the fringe. Oh, are you actually wearing garments? Can you wear garments with that? Or, oh, well, that's not a TV show I would watch. Or, you know, that's between them and God. Um, but, and, and so if you are somebody who gets harsh comments or harsh feedback, because how you approach the gospel doesn't gel with somebody else, it has everything to do with what the other person thinks, and it has everything to do with them and nothing really to do with you and who you are. All that really matters is what God thinks. Literally everything else is window dressing. There you go. That was really good. <laughs> Their interp- um, their interpretation of their faith doesn't make room for you, I think, is something you said. I tried to write down word for word. That was really terrific. And I wrote down as you were talking, keeping my covenants um, doesn't, is, doesn't give me license to see if you're keeping your covenants or judge you. And, um, you know, as I think we may have mentioned at the beginning of the book, I wrote a second book called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. And a lot of the things that Jonathan just talked about are things we can do to improve the culture. And I just bought it at Deseret Book. I'm excited to read it. Well, you could have written it, Jonathan, but I think you'll like <laughs> it. And that book's just 10 chapters of individual topics to improve culture, um, supportive of our doctrine. But often, as I think Jonathan knows and many of our listeners know, there's just sometimes different culture experiences that cause people to feel a little sifted. I think it's back to this principle we're called to be gatherers. Um, we're trying to make a bigger boat, even big enough that some people can stand in it, even if we're uncomfortable, um, and just creating more understanding as we're trying to be unified in our diversity. Um, and so um, that's you just have, some of the visual hard... imagery that comes to my mind of what we're trying to accomplish. And um, Jonathan, I'll leave you the last word. You've, I think you've got some more comments, and then we'll sign off. <laughs> oh, you were just you were just saying something that made me think of. But I, I need a quick second. I'm on my computer. Literally, Google. I'm furiously typing. Well, I'm gonna, uh, while you I'll, type, I'll, I'm going to just, sure. the other thing that came to my mind, you type, Jonathan, is I think of the same thing Jonathan does. The church talks, sort of teach principles. And I think one of the 
things Elder Uchtdorf said, you know, your, the, your testimony doesn't need to be this high to enter the church. And I think he just taught a principle there that um, it's, you know, we just need to create space for people to be at different places. Um, the, the chapel is not the temple where there's a belief and behavior hurdle. <laughs> Um, yeah. The church is different, um, and Christ's own ministry showed that so clearly the way everybody was invited to his table, table fellowship, people that the people in charge felt Christ shouldn't have to his table. Um, and yeah. so I think there's great learning in his ministry to people on the margins and what any Latter-day Saints are doing a great job of and what we continue to do. So maybe you've found what you're looking for by now, Jonathan. Yes. Um so this is exactly what you're talking about when it comes to the church. Uh, the church says visitors welcome. And that includes uh, your visitors who may not just stand up in the boat, but rock it. Uh, <laughs> or who may, who may see the world differently. They're, they're there to visit. They're there to learn. And 3 Nephi 18 uh, talks about people who come into the synagogues and they are not yet repentant. Right? They have not yet repented of their sins. They are not yet walking the path of the saint. And in 3 Nephi 18.32, he says, Nevertheless, ye shall not cast him out of your synagogues or your places of worship. For unto such ye shall continue to minister. For ye know not but what they will return and repent and come unto me with full purpose of heart, and I shall heal them. And ye shall be the, brings, the means of bringing salvation unto them. We love the idea of people coming to church and we're the means of bringing them back. What we don't like is what if they come to church and they don't play nice <laughs> or what if they come to church and it's, it's mildly uncomfortable. Like, I mean, obviously there are limits to this uh, people who are disturbing the experience for others. That's, that's different than somebody who's sincerely questioning and somebody who has doubts and somebody who doesn't, who isn't sure, you know, do not throw them out of your synagogues. Like you say, there may be, there may be hurdles or the door narrows for the temple, but the doors for the, the chapels are wide. They are very wide. Um, and then the last word I, I, I guess I have for today is one of my favorite scriptures, uh, Alma 38, chapter 38, verses 14 and 15. Actually, just, just, for, just verse 14, Alma 38, 14. Do not say, O God, I thank thee that we are better than our brethren. But rather say, O oh Lord, forgive my unworthiness and remember my brethren in mercy. Yea, acknowledge your unworthiness before God at all times. I'm not even going to add to that. Just drop the mic on that one. That's great. Um, will you give your email address again? You gave that earlier, but I'd love to give, have you give that again. Sure. I hope I don't regret it. <laughs> um, John O'Decker, J-O-N-O-D-E-C-K-E-R at yahoo.com. Uh, I say, I hope I don't regret it. If you are just an individual and you want to interact with me, I welcome it. If you work for any sort of marketing company and you are listening to this <laughs> podcast, follow your conscience, not the mandate of your employer. I don't want your emails. <laughs> that is funny. Um... Jonathan, I'm just so glad um, to have connected with you. You're a friend for life, and I think a lot of our listeners feel that way. Some listeners may already know you and the good work you're doing in multiple areas, but some of our listeners may be hearing you for the, for the very first time, and it's been very helpful for them. I think it's also helpful for leaders and parents that just need new tools and new perspectives to guide and help others that are walking sort of a road of having of wanting to 
work through the difficult issues. So you have a gift on many levels. And listeners, um, once again, in the show notes, I'll link to this Facebook post. I think it's a public Facebook post. So even if you're not Jonathan's um, Facebook friend, uh, you can still click on the Facebook link and I think it'll pull up and also link to his Cinema Therapy YouTube channel. You can check out that. And Thank you. Um, and if you don't know me personally, you, but you want to see my random soapbox posts, I always make those public. You can follow me on Facebook. Good. I likely won't accept you as a friend if we haven't met personally, but I welcome the interaction on the public posts. That's so. a great way to do that. And your Facebook um, is a pretty broad. Uh, it's one of the things as I prepared for this podcast is your Facebook, like your personal life and your way you're serving is not very one dimensional. And I think no. that's a good <laughs> thing, Jonathan. And um, that's a good thing. So this is Jonathan Decker and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.